If you're a queer man listening to this and you have your heart set on having a biological child, you likely already know how expensive surrogacy is, costing as much as $200,000 or more. Many queer men understandably experience sticker shock at this number and become a little bit hopeless. But there are ways to make having a baby as a queer man more affordable, and one of those ways is with Mosey Baby, which makes affordable and easy-to-use at-home insemination kits. So this kit would be perfect for anyone interested in an intentional co-parenting situation with a friend or a couple, or maybe you're one of the lucky guys who has an incredible person in their life willing to carry your child for free, meaning you can maybe skip the fertility clinic. Mosey Baby's Baby Making Plus Bundle includes everything gay parents to be need to get started on their at-home insemination journey. This includes specially designed insemination syringes, pregnancy tests, ovulation tests, and fertility loop. Mosey Baby has helped thousands of LGBTQ couples and singles form their families in co-parenting or known donor situations, while avoiding a lot of the major expenses that come with other surrogacy options. You can find out more at moseybaby.com and get 10% off your first order with code GWK10. That's code GWK10 at moseybaby.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to GWK, the podcast. I'm your host, David Dodge. And on today's podcast, I'm super excited to be speaking with star of stage and screen, Claiborne Elder, who, along with his husband, Eric, is raising his son, Bo, who I'm sure he's a star to as well. Claiborne has had quite a year in his career this year. He's currently starring on Broadway in the revival of the Sondheim Musical Company, alongside legends like Patti Lapone, no biggie, uh, and it just won the Tony for Best Revival. He's also starring on HBO's The Gilded Age alongside other legends like Audrey McDonald, Christine Baranski, and Nathan Lane. Maybe you've heard of them. Anyway, he's uh, well on his way to becoming a legend himself, and he was a delight to have on the podcast. We talk about what it's like juggling two huge projects like this at the same time, all while trying to raise a son and be there for his husband. We also get into his Utah upbringing, something we share in common. And I'm uh, increasingly convinced that no religion does a better job of producing queer dads than the Mormons. Um, so we'll talk into that a little bit and what it was like for him coming out and uh, much more. We're super thankful to have him on. Company, unfortunately, is closing at the end of July. So if you're in New York and have the chance to see it, definitely do. You won't be disappointed. And otherwise, go binge season one of The Gilded Age. It's a really fun look at New York during that era. And uh, be on the lookout for season two. As always, please like, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and enjoy the conversation. Claiborne Elder, welcome to the podcast. Hi there. Thanks for having me. We are so excited to have you here. But uh, before we get into all the really great, cool, interesting things you're doing professionally, we always like to start with that be this being a podcast for gay dads. We'd love to hear your family creation story. Tell us a little bit about how you met your husband and when you guys decided to have kids. Yeah, of course. You know, I think that on our third date, we started talking about having kids. Wow. So it was definitely something, yeah, that was, that was in there. Um, but then we sort of always hoped we would be able to, but weren't sure we would be able to afford it or be able to make it happen. And we went to a conference um, called Men Having Babies, which I'm sure you've heard of being in the uh, gay family business or field. And, um, <laughs> and there we met all of the doctors and, um, and agencies that helped us out. And, you know, we initially had a, we had a friend who wanted to be our egg donor. She backed out at the last minute. She just said, you know, emotionally it would be too much, which we totally understood. And so we ended up getting our egg and our surrogate both through an agency. And, and that worked really well for us. That was very, like from, a, from an emotional standpoint, it was um, very helpful. And we're great friends with the surrogate. We love her, we love her family. We, you know, 
our son Bo FaceTimes with her and they know each other. And our egg donor has agreed to meet him when he's 18, if he would like to. Um, that was also important for us. A lot of egg donors don't, but we, we wanted to find someone who would at least be open to it. I don't know if he will want to or not, but I would like him to have the chance if he can, <laughs> if he would like to. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah. And then my, my husband sort of had no desire to genetically reproduce. And I, um, I'm probably, I, I have seven siblings, but a lot of them are half siblings. And of my parents, I'm probably the only one that will reproduce. So it felt nice to be kind of passing on my family line. And also I am Clay, I come from a long line of Claiborne elders and his, we passed on that name to him, which it wouldn't matter what his parentage was. We could pass that on, but, right. but just as far as naming goes, that was important to us. And so we did a surrogacy. He was born out in California. He's about four now, and uh, that's sort of the story. I mean, amazing. According to Instagram, he looks like a very happy uh, little boy. So you, look, you guys are having a great time <laughs> at home. Um, and so uh, did you uh, always have surrogacy in mind when you were looking to for ways to form your family? Or do you kind of like look at other options or was that kind of, you, you knew that that was the path forward for you guys? We looked into other options. We looked into um, adoption, into um, fostering too. Um, but actually what happened was when we got connected with men having babies, we found a, um, we just got connected with doctors and, and people that we really liked. And so we were kind of like, I think this seems like a good way to go. You know, it was, it, we were lucky in that we got some extra help from people. And so it would kind of, it, that kind of led us to that direction because that suddenly became the easiest way to get a family and to start a family soon was that. I think that there are lots of, you know, I mean, I, I would have been, we would have been thrilled to do adoption as well. Um, but this is just sort of the opportunity that presented itself and suddenly we were like in it. Right. Amazing. I said, so, uh, GWK, we um, obviously advocate and are big fans of any path to parenthood that people want to pursue. Um, and surrogacy, like you're saying, often people um, come to it and just experience this massive sticker shock and, and think it's going to be far too complicated for them. But there are more resources out there to help uh, uh, gay men navigate these very complicated processes, um, and having babies being one of them. Uh, we've launched a program too, to try to like walk, walk people through the steps. It's called the GWK Academy. So for anyone listening, check out that as well. Um, but uh, but yeah, so it's uh, it's an exciting day that there's more kind of resources and, and ways to kind of make this happen for gay men than there, there used to be. So that's uh, great to hear that happen for you guys that way. Yeah, yeah. And it is, I mean, I think that's great what you're doing too, because it's sort of, it's sort of the wild west in that there are so many, even if you say like, great surrogacy, well, there's the surrogacy agency that for $250,000 will do the whole thing for you. Just a baby will show up at your house one day. But also there are lots of other ways to do it. You know yeah. what I mean? And there are lots of, um, there, yeah, there are just so many ways to go about it, even if you're just talking about surrogacy. So I think that it's really helpful to like go to one of those conferences, go take your take your course online so that you get a sense of all of the different ways. The first thing we did actually is somebody said, oh, well, you should meet with a, a, a genetic advisor. Somebody told us that. And it was yeah. when we didn't know anything, yeah. a genetic counselor. So we met with this woman who was a genetic counselor who like, for we spent a whole bunch of money doing things with her that we thought we needed because she told us that we needed oh, to no. do it. Yeah. And it ended up being like, oh, we didn't, oh, we didn't need to do any of that. That wasn't even part of the surrogacy process. That was just her kind of 
her making some money off of us. So be careful, be careful who you talk to. Try to find those resources out there that are good. That's uh, new um, for me. I haven't heard of a genetic counselor. Jesus, that's some. That's some oh my crazy. gosh, it was so stupid. Yes, it was really, really silly. <laughs> wow. It was a bad, bad decision. <laughs> no, it is true. I mean, yeah, this is exactly what we're trying to do. What Men Having Babies is trying to do is like, it is so overwhelming when you start to look into these processes. You don't know where to start. Um, and there's a lot of people in this business. There's a lot of people that um, have been doing it well and doing it for a very long time. That's kind of a shorter list than you would think. And so to have just any sort of way to guide yourself through these is, is super helpful. And this is true for adoption, foster care. All of these processes are just, you know, it's not easy for queer men to have babies, turns out. <laughs> we have like a couple more. No, exactly. We don't, we're missing some of the very important tools required to actually make a baby. So yeah, exactly. we, we do need help. We do need help. Exactly. Um, okay. So you are just killing it right now professionally. It's been super exciting to see. I'm also from Utah. I think I'm, I'm not sure if we connected over that, but it's just yes. like a yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, boy making it, making it out there. I really, it's been really fun to see. Um, so I guess I don't even know where to start, but um, obviously you're, you're starring in the revival of company, which I just had the pleasure of seeing, and it was incredible. So, so much fun. Um, I Thank guess you. talk Thanks. a little bit about what it's been like to be a part of something. Uh, I know Sondheim has played kind of an interesting role throughout your life in a couple of different instances, which we can get to, uh, but just what, is, yeah. what has it been like to be in this company, to be a, a side, such a legend like Patty Lapone and to uh, be doing it night after night? You know, it's incredible to be in a cast full of, first of all, people that I've respected for a long time, even some of them when I was growing up, like Patty LaBone. And, um, but the great thing about the show is sort of everybody gets their moment. We all have like our big scene or our big song or something. Everybody gets their moment. So everybody feels very useful in the company, which is really nice. But then in addition, you know, we first did the production before the pandemic. We had seven previews and then got shut down because of COVID. And then we came back two years later. But during those two years, we we spent a lot of time talking to each other. We were having group FaceTimes. We were catching up. We were having Zoom calls. And, um, and we grew really, really close together. And having gone through the pandemic and then coming back to do the show again, getting that reunion, and then having Steve pass away, and then the continued variants of, of COVID that have gone through it. We have really, really grown, grown close together as a family. And, and in every show you do, there is that sense of family, sort of, um, that you, you know, you're all, you're all putting your, your forces together to make something incredible. And it's challenging and oftentimes it doesn't work. And so to this, for this show to have been through so much altogether and finally getting the chance to do it. We're performing on the Tony Awards this weekend. All of these things just feels like um, such luck, feels like such incredible luck. And, you know, I talk, I, I teach a lot of um, master classes and things because I love to teach. And one thing that I often talk about is, you know, making it quote unquote, which is something that doesn't really exist because you always are trying to, you know, continue to work. Um, is really about the cross section of luck and talent. And you have to be kind of talented and ready to go, but then you have to walk in the right door at the right time. And that's sort of just in general, what I feel like has happened to me in the past couple of years, which has been crazy that like, I will probably never again in my life be working on a, a, a TV show that's a hit and a, and a Broadway show that's doing very well, you know, um, because that just doesn't happen very often but I feel incredibly lucky that it, it has right now in my life and I'm trying to just enjoy it while I can. 
Well, I'll go ahead and just say you're being incredibly humble. You're also very talented and have worked very hard at this. And it's uh, it was a real pleasure to see you on stage. I also love the Gilded Age. It was a lot of fun as well uh, to, to watch. Um, and so you have just completed filming the, the next season. Is that right, Gilded Age? Or is, uh, where are you at with that right now? We're in the middle of filming the second season. And we actually, we shot the whole first season during the pandemic. I actually was going to have to shoot the first season while I was doing company, but then the company got shut down and we shot the first season of Gilded Age all through the pandemic, which was really crazy because (laughs) everything just, yeah, I mean, they just had to pad the time, you know, because any given day, like one day I had a false positive COVID test and they had to shut down a whole day of filming. Oh, wow. Which is it huge very expensive deal but they knew that was going to happen yeah but you know we were all it's a period show so we're all in these you know huge costumes and these beautiful sets with our masks on like we didn't even see each other's faces except when we were taking like doing takes and so yeah it was a lot um so now it's fun to be a little bit more into a normal cadence of things like that we're shooting it kind of like a normal tv show but the show is just enormous. And because it takes place in, in a time period, we shoot for a very long time. So we started shooting in May and we shoot all the way through November um, for these next for this next season. How how do you so jump only... with being on stage? I, like you're, I mean, you're on Broadway, you know, multiple days a week. I assume you just have Mondays off typically, right? So how how are you able to do that? Yeah. Well, Mondays become Mondays are my day off from the show, but it becomes the day that I am frequently working on the Gilded Age. Wow. Um, but you know, I just what I what I had to do as I was going into it was really set out my time with my family because that becomes the most important part. And I had to say, hey, look, this is when I I'm going to be with my family at these hours during the day. My manager can't call me. My agents can't call me. I cannot schedule anything. Um, I've just had to say no to a lot of things so that people know that that time is very valuable to me. And because I'm gone every night, I don't get to do bedtime every night. Right. It is very, very important to me that I spend time with him in the morning and I spend time with him after school. And on Mondays, on my day off, I am always with him all day. So it's just really like setting up the boundaries has been difficult. And, and like I said, you know, it's not always this way. Like it's a one year of my life in which I'm in a Broadway show and doing the TV show and it's really crazy, but if I can make it through it, it would be really, it's incredible. So my husband and I sat down at the beginning of the year and we're just like, okay, let's come up with some ways in which we can navigate this to make sure that this is going to be okay. And we've been following kind of all those rules. And now we're six months into the Broadway show and we've sort of settled into a rhythm, you know, where it all works out for us. That's great. It's impressive. because I mean, it is a lot, you clearly saw where I was headed with some of my questions. I've been juggling all of this and also, uh, you know, being a dad and feeling and good about all those roles is, is impossible, I think, to do it perfectly all the time. But it seems like you're, you've managed to find a, a rhythm that's working for you. So that's, uh, that's really great. Those of you with babies and small kids at home, think about this. A lot of the food you pass in the baby food aisle at the grocery store has been sitting on that shelf for longer than maybe your kid's even been alive. The stuff can be so heavily processed and our kids deserve better. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Little Spoon, which has an awesome menu of baby and toddler kid food that is non-GMO and organic, 
made with fresh ingredients and absolutely nothing artificial. It's all basically homemade and just delivered straight to your door in a cooler box so you can just pop the meals in the fridge or freezer and heat them up when your little ones are ready to eat. We had a couple of uh, tiny taste testers help us out. <laughs> um, Eight-month-old Logan absolutely loved Little Spoon's baby food blends, especially the guava, mango, apple, and pear mashup. And he loved the organic smoothies as well with hidden vegetables like the sweet potato and carrot cake smoothie as well as the veggie pack green dream with chai. So uh, with kids' meals under $5 and baby food smoothies and snacks under 3 trying Little Spoon is really affordable. At Gates with Kids listeners can get 50% off their first order with the code GWK50 at checkout, and that's uh, at littlespoon.com. That's code GWK50 at littlespoon.com. I mean, this is kind of a really unfair question since you're in the middle of, like, kind of the peak of <laughs> so many things going well right now, but what is kind of, like, your dream uh role your dream um like next step if whether it be on stage or on screen is there something that you're dying to do great question i just want to keep working that's what i really want um no matter what it is i just want to work on things that i love with people i love and i want to make work that i want to show my friends those are sort of my that's what i want to do i mean if you if i was like trying to be specific about a kind of project you know i'm gonna after this broadway show is done i've technically been working on it for three years you know right. i will be very tired <laughs> and i will be excited to take a little break i will probably want a little break from theater so that i have more time to spend with my family and i think i mean if i dream project i would shoot like a really cool independent film cool. next and like have some time to prepare for it spend some time shooting it over the summer and we take my son and it's in Croatia. Those are all the dreams. <laughs> yeah, aim high, why not? That's amazing, I love that. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, I also think it's probably, it must be really fun right now to be playing two characters that are so different, right? And you know, they're in different times, they have, you know, they're different orientations. And uh, I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but you play dumb oh. very well in the company. It's very, so I can see. Thank you, thank you. I can tell, Good. I tell everybody that it takes a really smart person to play that exactly, dumb. Exactly, yeah. Um, <laughs> It looks like a lot of fun to play. I'm also, well, so, uh, yeah, anything else you'd like to say about that character, I'd love to hear. But also, you know, you you also are playing um, a very interesting role in Gilded Age is like a closeted man trying to have this romance with uh, with someone else in this time. I hope that's not a uh, spoiler for anyone. I don't think I'm kidding. No, that's fine. Okay. That's fine. That's out there in the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so what is it like to play, uh, you know, being a gay man yourself? Um, obviously, we've all been there at some point in the closet, maybe even had like a, you know, furtive, romance like that that we've had to hide. Um, what is it like to kind of put yourself back in that mindset um, and to play that role as a closeted gay man? Yeah, it, it is very interesting playing these two different roles um, at the same time, just in that, you know what I mean? In a, in, a, in a contemporary musical comedy, playing a straight man who's very dumb to being in a period piece that is about a gay man who was in the closet. Who's, I mean, it's just like, they're like, two opposite sides of the table, right. <laughs> um, which is sort of the best. If I could choose anything, I would want to do that just because it gets, you know, you, you, there's a lot of, um, it's just, it, it makes a lot of creativity happen. It sparks a lot of things, but for Gilded Age, I am, you know, I mean, my degrees in dramaturgy, that's what I studied. And um, so I'm like a very much a research-based actor. And so playing a historical show, loosely based on a real character. I mean, at least my, the, my family heritage in the show is real. And getting to study all of those things has been so much fun. And as far as, 
you know, being a gay man in this time period, researching gay New York in this time period is so fascinating because there was such a vibrant queer community uh, in New York City at this time. And, and a lot of people were, weren't hiding it, weren't, weren't especially hiding it. And, um, and they weren't, I mean, they were getting arrested because of it, but, uh, but there was a world in which people were doing that even, you know, in the 1880s. And so for me, um, I feel like my character, John Adams, is a, is a pretty self-aware gay man um, for this time period. And I think that he has, a, he has a comfort with it. He is not fighting it like some other people are fighting it. And, and he really has a great desire to fall in love and be in love and be with someone. And, um, and I think that any gay man or gay person or queer person or outsider or non-binary or anyone who feels different can always, always connect with that person who feels different and is, is really trying to seek happiness rather than letting that difference, you know, like ruin their life or ruin someone else's life. And so in that, you know, I mean, also growing up gay and Mormon, there is a definite, you know, I definitely remember what it was like to have secret, you know, secret crushes and secret love. And, and um, so that part is very easy for me because we all, you know, free, lots of us have that experience. Absolutely. And I mean, it, I, so I'll just admit when we were, I was watching with a group of friends and, you know, I, I, we got pretty far through the first season before, you know, before this part comes in and we were, I think we all squealed and, you know, it finally became obvious that there was going to be like a gay subplot. We're like, finally, yes. <laughs> it, was like, it was very exciting. Uh, and it's, it's, again, it's a really nice uh, little subplot, I think, to bring into this world. And I, like you're saying, I think it's a really cool way to, I mean, to even just think about what it was like to be gay back then uh, at such an interesting time in, in New York um, and in the U.S. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun to, to watch. Um, it's also kind of like Broadway on TV, right? It's like you're, you're on in the show with so many legends um, that are also like uh, Broadway performers in their own right. What is it like to work alongside the Christine Baranskis and Cynthia Nixon's and Audrey McDowell's on, on this show? You know, they're, it's amazing. It feels like a family reunion every time we come to set. Not even for the people you don't know. It's just such a theater heavy group that it feels like, it feels less like being on set and feels more like being backstage. And that is so much fun and doesn't happen a ton when, you know, working on TV for me. And, and also to be working with actors who I admire so much, but don't know personally, but we kind of are in the same club. And so we immediately like get together and you have things to talk about and you talk about all the people you know in common. And like my, my dresser right now in company was, was Kelly O'Hara's dresser for a long time. So we all kind of know each other now through that. And, um, and everyone also is just everyone because everyone there respects theater actors because they, they are or they know that this is, you know, that's very important to the show. There is this level of understanding that is so wonderful. And, um, and it, you know, shooting, shooting things is always fun most of the time, except when it's like four o'clock in the morning. But, but we have truly a lot of fun together. Um, we have a lot of fun just playing around and being being together. You know, it's not often that a whole bunch of theater people get to do a movie or a TV right. show together. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's a lot of fun to watch. And the, again, it comes across very clearly on the show. Where does it take, where do you actually film it? Because it is, I mean, it also being a New Yorker, it's also really fun to just watch this, you know, era of New York. 
Uh, but so where, how much are you filming like on actual streets in New York versus in like sound studios? Well, we have, there is a sound stage in, in uh, Queens where we have some of the interior homes are set up. But most of it is shot on location. We shot um, a lot of it in Newport, Rhode Island because there are all those historic mansions there. So a lot of the interiors, even the ones that are supposed to be in New York are actually up there because they're these untouched, you know, actual Gilded Age homes. Right. They haven't been converted um, so like a lot of the condos, right? So yeah, exactly. it's harder to find those in New York now. Exactly. So they're like the kitchens and the servants' quarters and things are all in Newport. We also shot in um, upstate New York and a couple of other little towns. The, a lot of the exterior stuff that looks like old New York is actually old towns in in like upstate um, that they you know fill the streets with dirt and then turn into a little uh, historical piece. But then also they shoot a lot in the city. We've shot in Central Park. We shoot you know in places around the city with uh, historic significance that still look kind of as they did, which is really fun. Um, and they also do some incredible effects to make things, to, to make larger outdoor spaces look as if it's period, which are every single time I see it, I'm like, how did, I was there. How, that did not look like right. that. How did they do that? Right. Yeah. It's really incredible. That's cool. And it's it's also like a little bit of a history lesson. Like it was so fun to see watching the New York Times light up with electricity for the first time the building. And I was like, just a lot of very cool little nuggets, I think, for any history buffs, for sure. Yeah. So so I also just want to, because it's just kind of, I don't know what it is about Mormonism, <laughs> but it, it pops out so many gay men um, and also so many gay dads. I know so many gay or ex-Mormons that have, you know, pursued. And I, you know, I think there's maybe something to be said about the religion placing such a heavy emphasis on family like a lot of us come from very large families um and you know that's not a bad part of the religion that they are so family focused i think so um maybe that's why but i guess I, if you accept that you're comfortable talking about it, i'd love to hear just a little yeah. bit of what it was like for you growing up mormon uh you know the coming out process and uh, where you're at now with it all so like i said i'm the youngest of eight my brother who is just older than me is also gay and we grew up, we were very close growing up and, and we both like listened to Judy Garland together and watched Shirley Temple movies. And, you know, it was like having a gay best friend your whole childhood, but also kind of when we both came out, we had somebody else there. And that was, that made for a lot of safety net, you know, that, um, that like, I knew he wasn't going anywhere. I knew he wasn't going to disown me, sort of, because we sort of we knew about each other. And um, but also, I was really lucky in that I have parents who had a hard time with it. It was not super easy, but they came around very quickly and said, "You know what? We just love you. We just love you, and we'll figure out the rest. Let's just let's just start there." And my mother was a convert to the church too. And my actually, my mom when when we were growing up she wrote an article. She wrote like a personal essay article every week for the local paper um. under an assumed name. And it was, it was about kind of being an outsider in Utah County. That's fascinating. Where like the highest concentration of Mormons. Yeah. And she said some unpopular things and she was kind of shocking and which is why she wrote under an assumed name because she didn't want any, you know, she wanted us kind of protected as little kids. But eventually when we got old enough, she like, came out <laughs> and um, and I remember my I was in fourth grade and my fourth grade teacher was like a huge fan of her column and when he found out that it was my mom he like freaked out and was so excited and um, so there was that there was always that 
presence in my childhood of like, oh, we're sort of outsiders or like we, we can look at this, we look at this differently than other people because my mom did, because I read my mom's articles when I was growing up and I was like, oh yeah, she's questioning some things and she's, she's questioning the culture and she's, you know, um, bringing up things that people don't want to talk about. And so I think that that part of her that's essentially a little rebellious also came around to us being gay very quickly. Now, I mean, she still says, you know, someday the Mormon church might accept gay people and then you'll be able to join join again. And I'm like, mom, there's bigger problems than yeah. that. <laughs> um, At least that's her perspective I, and not the, you know. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, yeah, exactly, exactly. But um, I was very lucky in that my family was really supportive of me. That's that's uh, great to hear. I uh, well, first of all, I just love that anecdote about your mom. That's she's like a, the you know that's like the plot of Bridgerton, but in Utah County. I love it. Like yeah, <laughs> that's uh, so sweet. Um, uh, but I also you know I guess I I end up finding myself defending Mormonism far more than criticizing it to people because of uh, and again I am no, no longer associated with the church. It has a ton of problems, and so don't you know I don't need any uh, hate DMs for for uh, for this. But I think for, for those of us that came from it, it is. Uh, you know, I, when I tell people I grew up Mormon um, and was gay, and I'm gay, obviously, I, there's this look of pity that often, like, you know, comes across people's face, like it must have been this huge struggle. And for a lot of people, it is. I'm not trying to discount that. And I was incredibly lucky. My family, like, yanked me out of the closet when I was pretty young and left the church partly over their treatment of gay people in the church. Um, so my yeah. my situation is not typical at all. But um, but my my cousins and my aunts and uncles, like, none, none of them, you know, most of them are still very much a part of the church. Uh, but they never rejected me. They never, if anything, they're curious. They wanted to learn more about it. I think some of them probably hold out hope that I'll come back to the church someday too. But, uh, but you know, I think, you know, not to start criticizing other religions, but in comparison to some of the experiences I know of other people in other faiths, like there is something that is uh, deeply, you know, uh, committed to family and to, to, you know, showing up for family. Um, I, I do know people that have been kicked out of their their homes because they were Mormon and gay. So that's, that definitely happens in this religion too. But, um, but yeah, it's just kind of an interesting thing. I think our um, experiences are probably more typical, but um, but maybe I'm also just looking at it through rose-colored glasses at this point. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, I feel I, I feel totally the same way that like you know if I had been forced into reparative therapy or, or uh, reparative therapy, no, what conversion? conversion. Yeah, I think you yeah. conversion therapy. Conversion therapy. Yeah, if I had been forced into conversion therapy, I would probably be a little more bitter about Mormonism right. too. But I, I feel the same. And, and you know, when our son was born, my husband is Jewish, and um, I mean Jewish. He's very-ish, uh, but he is. <laughs> and um, but we were like talking about it. You know, I had a very happy childhood, and when I go back to Utah to visit, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can absolutely see why someone would want to raise a family here. It's magical. It's so nice. Yeah. And, um, and like, what, what things can we instill about, about any organized religion, the good parts of any organized religion? What are the good things about it that we can instill in our son in other ways? And how do we do that in a sense of community and a sense of family? And, um, you know, I, I desperately, and especially now, especially now as a father, I desperately wish I believed that we were going to be together on some planet after we all died and we were nice, going to start right? a planet. <laughs> that would be great news. <laughs> like if somebody told me that, I would, you know, I I would be like, yes, why not believe that? Great. Mount planet, absolutely. You know, yeah. yeah, it's the organizational parts that get a little tricky for sure. But at the base of it, I'm like, that's a great thing to believe. Why not? 
You know, the Greeks believed that Zeus was throwing lightning bolts at us. That's also pretty cool. I wish I could believe that, but it's probably not real. Yeah. It's so I frequently think about, you know, like what are ways and and for me, you know, the theater, the Broadway community, especially is a very tight knit community. And the Broadway parent community is a very tight knit community because the thing we do is very weird for parenting. We're gone every night. And that's when our career is going well. And so you, you know, like it feels like a club that you're in. And in fact, you know, they, every Halloween and on holidays and things, Broadway theaters, like one Broadway theater will usually host trick-or-treating for all the Broadway parents. And you like go to that theater and you go backstage and you knock on everyone's dressing room doors and the kids trick-or-treat at all the dressing room doors. And then there's a party for all the theater kids, you know, and, um, and things like that, 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 that feels as much of a community to me as church did when I was growing up. Um, so it's finding those ways and finding those groups of people that you want to be with that, you know, represent values that you, that you want to instill. Right. And it's a community that can sing and dance. So that can be more fun than some of the, you know, church choirs. Totally fun. It's like way more tap dancing. Although there was a lot of tap dancing and singing and stuff in oh, the church. Mormonism, they, they love the arts, say what oh you want, but they, you know, everyone grows. I, I saw you played the, was it the violin or the cello or something growing up? The violin. Yeah. 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 I play the piano. Every Mormon kid I know has to play some musical instrument, you know, so or, or get into singing lessons. So, you know, that's, that's true there too. But I actually hadn't really yeah. thought about the, the broader, <laughs> parenting community on Broadway. I think, you know, the, uh, you being a gay dad on Broadway was uh, was our particular interest, obviously, but the, to think about the broader parenting community, how large, I mean, would you say that it's a, a, a fairly big uh, subset of the, of the population that have kids and have to kind of struggle with what you're talking about? Yes, for sure. Probably, probably more than you think. And, you know, we were, for the theater community, we were early buy-ins to the gay parenting. Um, we actually don't know a lot of other gay gay Broadway families, not actors. They're, which, you know, there are producers and things, but their life is very different. They're not showing up at the theater every day to do the right. show. Actors who are doing it every day, there are not a lot of gay dads who are actors on Broadway. Because it's hard, you know? I mean, I know a lot of like TV and film actors, but again, that's a very different set of problems than I have to be at the theater six nights a week. Yeah. Cereal was one of the best parts about being a kid. But then we grow up and realize just how much sugar and junk is in most of it. Luckily, the folks at Magic Spoon have figured out how to make a truly healthier cereal and when we don't have to feel guilty about serving our kids. Magic Spoon cereal has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs. And it's only 140 calories a serving. They're not just healthy though, they're delicious. Magic Spoon cereals come in variety packs of four flavors, including cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. Best part is you can mix and match the flavors. Try blending cocoa with peanut butter. It tastes exactly like a peanut butter cup. Go to magicspoon.com slash GWK to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code GWK at checkout to save $5 on your first order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash GWK and use the code GWK to save $5. So I know you told this story a million times, but it's such a good one that I'm going to ask you to tell it again. <laughs> so can you tell us about the time um, when you were at 22, 23 and sitting outside yeah. um, well, a Broadway show trying to, I'm not sure if you were attending or trying to get in and a stranger, well, you, I'll let you tell the story. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> well, it was it was about 15 years ago. I was, I'd come from Utah on a visit. 
with uh, my first boyfriend, fresh off the internet, and we came to New York to see, and I wanted to see Broadway shows. He wasn't really interested in Broadway shows, but I dragged him and I had no money. So I was going to see every you know, like standing room rush ticket I could. And I had standing room tickets to something. And I was walking outside the theater and a stranger walked up to me and said, you know, I could see you in the standing room area and you'd look like you were having more fun than the people in the expensive seats. Here's $200, go buy yourself tickets to Sweeney Todd tomorrow, it'll change your life. And I being a kid from more, from Utah was kind of like, what do you want in return? And this is really questionable. <laughs> right. I was a little free. I was like, Which wait, fair what's enough. happening? Right, exactly. What's happening? Yeah, and he was like, no, really just take the money. We didn't even exchange names. I didn't, you know, but I did have a camera that had like film in it because that's how long ago it was. And I said, can I take a picture with you? And he was like, yeah, sure. So we took this picture together and I went and, you know, I could have spent that $200 on a lot of things at that point in my life, but I did what he said. I went and bought a ticket I couldn't afford to see Patti Lapone in Sweeney Todd on Broadway. And now here I am 15 years later, starring alongside Patti Lapone on Broadway in a Stephen Sondheim show. And, you know, more than that, even there's so many crazy coincidences in this story, but um, my first job ever in New York was with the team that did Sweeney Todd. They, the director, John Doyle, cast me in Stephen Sondheim's last new musical. And um, that, when, I, when that happened, I was like, oh my gosh, this guy who at the time, that was, you know, only about four years later, five years later, I was like, if that guy could only see, I, he gave me that ticket. But now cut to today, I, um, I'm doing company on Broadway. I got COVID in December and I was out of the show. And I was really sad to be out of the show after waiting for two years for it to finally come back. We had just reopened. And so when I came, when I was, the day I was coming back into the show, I said to my husband, I'm gonna buy two tickets and I'm going to give them away online. And he was kind of like, oh, okay, that's a lot of money, but sure. <laughs> so I posted about it. And I posted this photo of me and this guy 15 years ago and said, inspired by this stranger, I'm giving away two tickets. And then two amazing things happened. One, a whole bunch of people started reaching out and asking if they could give money. And so people started Venmoing me money and sending me checks and all these things to, to give more tickets away. And now I'm still giving away tickets. Wow. I've over a thousand people have seen the show for free. That's so that's not for free. It's actually not free. They, right, right. they were, they went on a ticket bought for them by a total stranger. And, you know, my only stipulation was I make people fill out a Google form in which they promise me they can't afford to come. And if you promise me and you can, then that's on your head. Right. But if you just tell me you're someone who is working hard and you can't afford a Broadway ticket right now, I will buy you a ticket to the show. And the second crazy thing is when I posted that photo, my friend, Doug Sills, who works on the Gilded Age with me, we have really just become close working on the Gilded Age, reached out and said, I know that guy. And he said, do you want, do you want to FaceTime him? And that night I got to get on FaceTime with that stranger and Doug didn't tell him why. He just said, just get on FaceTime with this guy. And I got to tell him what he had done and what happened. And we both were just crying uh, a lot and um, just crying. I mean, it's just, you, you never get the chance to thank someone who does a random act of kindness for you because that's the whole point is it's random. And the chances of us finding each other, he could have been from 
from Austria, as far as I knew. I have no idea, you know, he, and so the fact that we actually found each other based on this picture that I just happened to save was truly insane. And now we text all the time. We kind of feel like we feel as though we were brought together by the universe. And so we're friends and he's, he lives in LA. He hasn't actually come to see the show yet. He's hoping to come this month. And, um, and it's, you know, I say that, you know, those old friends you have that you don't talk to for a few years, but then you talk to them and you just kind of fall into, that's what it was like when we started texting again. He was just like, we just sort of knew each other. And, um, and it's been, you know, it, the story has gone out into the world in this crazy way. And it's also provided a lot more people, a lot more people have been sending me money because of the way the story has gone out into the world, which has been amazing because now all these people have got to see the show for free. But, you know, speaking of religion and stuff, I, I joked with one of my friends when I told her the story that I was like, I guess I believe in God now. I don't know. I, I, because it's all just too crazy that it all happened this way and too miraculous to be just real, you know, to be just something that happened. Um, but whether or not I believe in God aside, it's a thing that has given me a lot of faith in the world and in humanity and has made me believe, you know, believe again in doing good. Absolutely. And um, yeah. It's such a, it's just such a good, pure, beautiful story. And like what makes me feel in the power of, and believe in Broadway, <laughs> but that in the no, power yeah. of the Broadway. Exactly. <laughs> uh, no, it is. It's really sweet. And it really, I think it does point to um, the power of theater and, and what it means to, uh, to the city of New York, I think, uh, to me, it makes me think, I mean, I guess this guy's in LA. Did he know about your success? Did he know you were on Broadway, that you were, um, no, so he had no idea. No, I, got, on this. Yeah, no I got to tell him all of that. Yeah, I got to tell him all of that's, that. That's incredible. Uh, but no, I mean, it makes me, so I think New York gets a bad rap a lot of the time in terms of like how New Yorkers are and how they treat each other and, you know, all this stuff. But, you know, I hear about you know, maybe not $200 being handed out to just anyone on the street. But I think, you know, New Yorkers are generous like this. And I think particularly in the, the performing arts community, whether it be, you know, people performing in like downtown little nightclubs up to Broadway, I think it is a very tight knit community here. It's, uh, you know, people understand what it's like to struggle in that community. And so there's a lot of giving back in this way. So it really is just, you know, a beautiful, uh, beautiful story. Um, Thank you. <laughs> So, um, and well, so if anyone else wants to help get involved in buying tickets for, for other people, how would they, how would they get about, uh, go about doing that? You, people have been sending it to me on Venmo. You can find my Venmo on my Instagram page. I am not a 501c3. <laughs> we have talked about, we've talked about funneling it through 501c3 programs. They just take such a huge cut of the yeah, money right. unless we're going to start our own. So, you know, I have hopes of continuing this on right now. I just do not have the time to do it well. Sure. Um, but in the future, I think that it's, you know, I've had so many people come up to me and say, like, my company will be your corporate sponsor. Wow. I think what you're doing is important and making the theater accessible and, you know, inviting people in who don't feel like they're invited into the theater and into yeah. the Broadway community. And, you know, I've partnered with I partnered with Covenant House to bring people in. I partnered with the Arthur Miller Foundation. I, I, I offered a free, I offered free tickets to every drama teacher in New York City as well. And a lot of them have come. Um, so I've kind of connected with all of these groups of people now who have people who, who really want to see theater, but it is not accessible to them. And those are the people I'm looking for. You know, like I'm not looking to, 
I'm not necessarily looking to get somebody who's not interested, interested. I want the people who really want to be there and can't come to come. Um, and so I feel really strongly about it. And I think that it's something I'm going to continue on doing. And if you want to be on the mailing list or whatever, you can find that on my Instagram page uh, as it continues to grow. Yeah, so we'll definitely, we'll put all this in the, the post that goes along with this so people can find this uh, more easily. I mean, my hope is, you know, like the, the rush tickets idea came from somewhere at some point, right? And it is now like an, in, in, like an integral part of the Broadway experience and show and most shows do it I think now so hopefully this is something maybe you'll start something that you know the Broadway shows will pick up on because it is you know <laughs> the rush tickets are great but like I know people that enter lottery after lottery and never get picked this is like you know it's a, a real sure shot of making sure people that uh, like you're saying want to experience Broadway but don't have the it is expensive you know it's not it's not something that uh, is accessible to a lot of people especially a lot of people that live in New York, which is such an expensive city. Um, but yeah, so Thank I'm you. hoping you've started a trend that other shows will will pick up on. Um, so you can keep us Thank posted. You. Thanks. Um, well, yeah, for sure. So I guess uh, kind of in just this, uh, I, I'm also just interested, this is a little bit of a selfish question because almost everyone I know uh, <laughs> that uh, ends up having a kid in New York, you know, these are like friends of mine that are diehard New Yorkers, right? And then they, um, they had, and like, I'm guilty of this too much. So I'm a donor to a lesbian couple. We had our first kid here. Um, and then this, the minute the second kid came, they like were up and out and, you know, but now they're in Connecticut. I'm like, okay, it's, you know, it's only an hour and a half away, but it's still like, you know, it's, they're not in New York anymore. And I'm like such a diehard New Yorker that everyone I know that has a kid, it's like, they'll tough it out for a little bit and then they are out and I get it. It is expensive. It's not easy, especially if you want more than one kid. Uh, but so what is it like, obviously you're, profession is so dependent on on New York, but you know, you could be commuting in and out or, you know, um, finding other ways to make this happen if you wanted to. Uh, but so first of all, how committed are you to New York? That's my first question. <laughs> and, uh, it's a great question. What is it? What is it like to raise a kid here? You know, I wanted to live in New York my entire life and I, I am a committed New Yorker and I love it here. I also totally understand when people, you know, I used to live in the East Village and people were throwing up on my stoop every day yep. and, you know, like drunk teenagers on my stoop in the morning. And I loved it. I just loved <laughs> New York. And then I became a parent and I was like, no, no, I'm not going to live down here anymore. And I moved out of the East Village. But we, um, you know, every day we're making that decision. We do have a house upstate. It's too far away to commute but we spend a lot of time up there. And um, I feel like we get that experience of being outside the city where he gets to see trees and run around our yard and yeah. play with our neighbors, kids and things like that. Um, but we love the city. And, and I think that, you know, it's not, I think that the responsible thing to do as a parent in the city is decide every day if you still wanna do it. I don't think you say, no, we're staying here forever because this is what we're doing. You decide based on how it's going and where, what schools they get into because the schooling, the, the educational system in the city is really tricky and full of loopholes. And there are good schools and there are terrible schools. And I think that that is a very important thing for your kid. I think safety is a really important thing for your kid. Um, you know, and crime in the city has not been great lately. And that has made me think about leaving the city. I was. I was involved in a subway incident recently uh, on a subway that I ride with my kid all the time in which there were a lot of people hurt and and the thought of being on the subway with him because I'm a because I've decided that I need to live in New York is just not responsible. You so were on the, I this was uh the, the shooting that happened? 
Uh, no, no, no. I was on a subway where a man with a pipe came in and started uh, hitting people. Wow. Yeah, it was really intense. And, um, and, you know, it's, I, I just think that we, we, all we care about, the only thing we care about is him being cared for, right. him having a healthy environment he lives in, and him being happy. And being happy doesn't mean he's happy every single minute of all the time, but in general. And so right now we are living in the city. We want to live in the city. We would love to stay in the city. Also, if we were billionaires, we would easily stay in the city because the right. people that I know are the happiest in the city are the rich people, especially <laughs> if you have kids. Yeah. If we could send him to a $100,000 a year private school, no I would do that. But you know, I think that we are just, we, we navigate this decision all the time. And I think that one thing that I love about, about my choices in my life are that I'm not afraid of change. And I think that, you know, if I needed to make a change, I would make that change to, to have it be the best for my family. Um, yeah, well, so that's where we are. Yeah. The decision is not to decide. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's good. And again, I don't mean to be so flippant about what's going on. I mean, New York is, I was mugged by, with a machete, <laughs> like, like a couple oh weeks gosh. ago with a good friend of mine by these four kids. And it was the first time that's happened in New York 20 years, never had anything like that happen. So the city does feel a little different right now. So I, I, I hear you. And especially if I had, to, if, you know, if my kids were in the city, I would be maybe thinking a little bit different about this all as well. Uh, but it's, you know, you juxtapose that with everything that you have in the city, which is Broadway, which is, you know, arts and culture and, and you know, just the, you know, it is um, pretty central in that way uh, to me. And, and, you know, what I what I think it's great also to be exposing kids to. So it is, you know, uh, hopefully it'll get back to where it felt safer um, and hopefully soon. But, uh, but yeah, I, I hear that and taking it day by day makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, well, Claiborne, I can't thank you enough for doing the podcast today. This has been such a treat. I'm sure our followers are going to uh, really love to uh, hear this interview, which uh, will come out um, in just a couple of weeks, I think. Um, and uh, but so I just wanted to, yeah, obviously people can catch you on company right now. Please go try to, to see it. It is worth uh, it is worth the shit. It's just an incredible uh, performance that you give and the whole cast. It's a really fun time. Um, and then season uh, two of Gilded Age will be coming out um, uh, next you know, spring, next 2023. Spring. Yeah, All right, definitely check that out as well. I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot more of you. Um, thank you again for this and um, enjoy the rest of your day. Of course, you too. My pleasure.